Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, who is back from Honduras. You're uh, your son kissed. Am I? <laughs> you came I back. <laughs> yeah, you came back a little tanner. I guess that's what happens when you're hanging out near the equator. Yeah, we're very we're considerably closer to the equator than in Tennessee. Well, what was the temperature down there last week? Ugh. Uh, it was mouth temperature, so just humid. Honduras is not. The climate isn't what you're going for in Honduras. Super humid. Yeah. Just hot, sticky, swampy, swampy. Um, it's uh, as the locals. Here's how you know it's bad when the locals are complaining. Muy calor, muy calor. Uh, you know it's bad. And funny enough, uh, our youth pastor's wife, Michaela. Uh-huh. We're about to find out if they listen to this podcast or not. <laughs> so, if you're new to Spanish, whatever you uh, you're tempted because you know caliente is hot. You know this story that I have about the movie Caliente. When I went to Mexico, well, it got me in big trouble. It got Michaela in big trouble, too. Uh-huh. She's walking around and going, oh, movie Caliente. <laughs> and the guys are all giggling at her. Because, yes, their definition of hot in by saying Caliente is not temperature related. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's like she was uh, in Spanish uh, waving them in. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what happened to me uh, about 20 years ago on a missions trip when I was taking... A 20-year-old Mosa, about the same. Yeah, yeah about a little the same younger time, than took, took a bunch of teenagers to Juarez, Mexico, and I was saying this, and it got me in trouble to this for this older uh, woman. Oh, you got scolded? Well, no, no, she, was, uh, she had the wrong impression. Oh, she thought you were in play. And... Uh, on the last day, because I was saying this every morning, I was saying, uh, you know, muy bien, or, uh, you know, uh, buenos dias, uh, muy, muy caliente. <laughs> and on the last day of the trip, she brought me an ice cold two liter Coke oh, yeah. as a gift. Yeah. Uh, and, and so somebody from the trip that, you know, obviously knew uh, better Spanish said, what, why is she giving you this gift? What, what have you been telling her? Mm-hmm. And I explained myself yeah. and uh, was... Uh, immediately reprimanded, although I was able to keep the ice-cold two-liter of coke, yeah. which comes in handy on a 105-degree day. Yeah, which is a bummer, because uh, I think among her people, the ice-cold Coca-Cola is her... Uh, she saw... For the wedding. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, she saw a six-foot-two, you know, you know, in my mind. A young gringo, man. Oh, that's Tall, hilarious. dark, and handsome. Muy caliente. <laughs> Dreams for crush. <laughs> I I was clueless. Oh yeah, and apparently so was Michaela. Somewhere, some uh, in Juarez, Mexico, <laughs> sad songs are sung of the gringo that slipped through her fingers, man. <laughs> Muy caliente. Uh, so you were there a week with our uh, our youth group. Yep. Um, Reverb Youth of Conduit Church was in Honduras with uh, organization. Uh, called Hearts to Honduras yep. that we our, partner with. Our very own Rhonda uh, and Shelton Wicks. Yes. And uh, for those of you who attend locally and are part of the thousand cups that are served uh, every Sunday of coffee, uh, that actually comes from That's Honduras, right. from 
their ministry, uh, one of their partners there that roasts beans yes. uh, locally. So, um, yeah, we were there for a, a week. The, the kids uh, had a blast. It, it, I went, so my son is 16, and you know, I was thinking about not going because I didn't want to, like, cramp his style crush the vibe. I don't know, is that what the kids are saying, Micah? Crush the vibe? I don't know what to do. Uh, mess up his drip, whatever. So we, uh, but he said he wanted me to go. Um, and he said, uh, hey, Dad, you know, like when we, when we go on those trips and then you plan those things like where we just ditch and disappear and like, go someplace in the mountains or, you know, like that's, those are always my favorite memories. And so, um, I'm 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 there. I got the web, and I'm and the, whenever we do that, we have to keep it super DL because what you don't want is an uprising, right? You know, from the other teenagers. Why do we not get to go to the mountains? A fair question. Um, so I had this whole thing planned out. These waterfalls. It was I was I was pretty on fire stoked. I arranged for a driver the whole production. Oh wow! And uh, so I, I pull Ethan aside and say, "Okay, man. So like tomorrow, this is what we're gonna do. It's awesome." And, and you know how you can tell when your son isn't as excited as you thought he was going to be? I'm familiar with it. About something? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what happened because uh, he said, uh, you know, Dad, I mean, would it be okay if I stayed here with with my friends? Whoa. A whole paradigm shift. Yes. And so, you know, on the one hand, I'm, I'm this father, this is my son. He's like, he's spreading his wings. It's, it's the natural course of life. He's supposed to pull away, you know. And the other hand, I'm like, well, that really hurt my feelings. Like, I thought I was the cool dad. And so, so uh, we, we didn't get to go see the waterfalls. But, um, it, but it was an impacting trip. And I, I, the truth, the truest of true stories, you know, people – We'll gripe and complain about short-term trips, and there's there's no shortage of, of bloggers out there sitting in cubicles, you know, talking about short-term trips. I mean, wouldn't it be better if you just sent the money? And, right. Um, you know, which is funny because for the most part, the people that type those sentences are sending no money. So, mm-hmm. you know, once you write your you, you go first. But it's the truth is is that money isn't. It's not like that money could have been given here and instead wasn't. Uh, this kind of money comes from different pockets from people. And what ends up happening is something way more profound than money, which is that their hearts go there. And once your heart is there, you'll, it's a whole lifetime of that. Of, 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 and it happened to me. I was 16 years old the first time I was in Guatemala. Um, it, it, so we had teenagers coming back saying, uh, like, the, the, you know, the last night they're crying, their friends are going to miss their friends, and their friends are these friends that they made in Honduras. Right. So, you know, the organization might be called Hearts for Honduras, but what it really is is Hearts for our friends there. Yeah. Gabrielle and Alex, and they now have friends there. Mm-hmm. And Mark Twain's old saying that the cure to bigotry and racism is travel. Um because you're outside of your comfort zone. So it was, we cured some of that, uh, you know, gave him a, a drink from the Haitian, or sorry, the Honduran cup mm-hmm. uh, outside of our middle Tennessee bubble. And uh, and it was great. Amazing thing happens. Our church, actually, one of the things we did as a church was our sister church there, uh, Pastor Allen at Rock of Salvation Church. Um, th- like they have no instruments at all. So they, if, if they had a special night, they would rent them. And so mostly acapella or what? Uh, yeah. So I've not been there on an off night, but yeah, I'm guessing acapella and probably 
probably a dude on a conga, you know. Yeah. Um, but we we as a church went and dropped s- some money and bought them uh, instruments. So their That's church great. is now fully equipped with all the instruments they need. They had the players; they just didn't have. That's fun. Uh, now he was saying, uh, you know, saxophone. Uh, <laughs> He was trying to tell me. I, I still don't know what the, the Spanish word for trumpet was, but it's not trumpet. But he, he right. So they definitely want to get uh, you know a, a, a little bit of a, a Latino thing going. So if, oh, if you have a saxophone or a trumpet and you want to donate it to an awesome church in Honduras, uh, hit us up because we can take that's it down awesome. with us. They'll put it to use. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So I've heard nothing but great things about um, about this trip and. Since you were gone um, and then came back, you know, heading right into the weekend, we had our good friend Fouad Masri uh, teach and lead on Sunday. Yeah. Um, And Fouad, who lives here in Nashville and has lived in the States for years, is from Lebanon, Mm -hmm. Lebanon, um, the country, not not the city, not the nearby city. (laughs) Yeah, he's not working at the Amazon plant in Lebanon. No. Um, and so he uh, heads up an organization called the Crescent Project, which is which is incredible. He's um, he has found ways to just uh, infiltrate Muslim communities with the gospel yeah. in various ways. And so um, he's he led and, and taught on Sunday a little bit about that, helping us, giving us some resources and tools on how to reach out to our Muslims um, in, that are in our communities with the mm-hmm. truth of the gospel. Yeah, and it's, for the most part, most major metro areas especially, um, the amount of brothers and sisters here that are, that hold Muslim faith, yeah, it's it's growing and it's only going to grow more. And so the question is, what do we, what do, we do about that? And, and the answer can't be nothing, but it's so, I mean, golly, I mean, it feels intimidating, right? Like you're... I don't know anything about Islam. How do I have a conversation with him? Um, and, and what I really appreciate about what Afwads, and if you haven't listened, I encourage you to go and, and listen to his his talk on, on our podcast link. Uh, is the simplicity of of how to how to do that, how to have that conversation? You know, the uh, I, I don't know that there's anything wrong with the evangelism classes. Right. Um, did you ever do those? Or like, were you role played? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, yes. And then physically would go out and do that. Oh, door yeah. to door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Visitation. Oh, you went door to door, knocking on doors. I was, oh, yeah, I was. This is my yeah. teen years, high school, like uh, late middle school, early high school. Do, do go door to door, knock on the door, complete and total stranger, um, and and ask them, tell them about the love of Christ, which mostly resulted in you know doors being slammed in my face, right, or, right. You know, not generally welcomed. Um, so yeah, I learned learned really quickly about humanity, <laughs> how that yeah, works. Because it doesn't, uh, you know, far be it from me to judge other methodologies, uh, especially because our very own Mike Howard actually came to Christ when someone knocked on his door. Absolutely, there, there, it works. So, but I feel like the statistical probabilities of it are along the same as the Prince of Nigeria sending money. <laughs> like you send out a half of a million emails and maybe one might get you, you know, get a couple hundred bucks from it. So it's, it's, it's a numbers game at that point. Yeah. But you know, when you go to Uganda and you do that, literally you go door to door, or hut to hut or village to village, it's a little bit of a different result. It is because the cultural thing, and I think that's what, um, one of the things that was so good about what Fouad was saying is it, it he was recognizing our, our cultural context and our cultural context is 
when we go home, we shut the garage doors and we go inside. He actually called the garage door a trap. The door, it's trapping people inside their homes. Yeah. Uh, so you could literally live in a neighborhood and not know your neighbors at all. Now in Uganda, they barely, they have doorways, but no doors. They have, um, sometimes they'll have curtains hanging in front of them. And they live outside. They don't live inside. So when you're going, quote, door to door, you're literally just taking a walk and talking to people in their front yards. Um, and they have nothing going on. They've got, they've got nowhere to go, you know, or, or they're like picking beans or something. Sure. And so you just sit down and pick beans with them while they're, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I remember an interview from a very, very long time ago when um, the Lost Boys of Sudan were all over the news and these were these young people who had walked hundreds and hundreds of miles uh, away from war and uh, it was it was terrible what they had to put up with and they brought some of them to America and one of the guys in the interview said when they asked him what was what's different about your country and he says what's different is that like where I'm from if you need directions you can just go to somebody's house and ask them and if you need help, you can just ask for it. And in this country, they don't do that. And I think that's very sad. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, that was, I was probably 30 years old. I think it was a 60 Minutes interview. Um, he was also baffled by that we decorate with water, by the way, for a kid that drank his own urine to stay alive. And he's oh, looking my. at fountains going, they decorate with water? Wow. Like, but in our context, yeah. our culture, uh, especially in this day and age, that you know, the door-to-door thing maybe isn't so great, but... On the other hand, in our neighborhoods, I don't know how your hood is, but you know, people, people out walking their dogs, people out at the, you know, at the amenity center, and um, what Fouad really here's the, if there's one takeaway that is this is probably the best takeaway was he didn't treat it like and doesn't think we should, and I totally agree, like you're a salesman trying to overcome an objection, right? Find the objections, overcome the objections. Close the deal. Yes. Pretty much every evangelistic training I was ever part of was like you could have just transferred those same skill sets to a, a call center, or, you know, selling yeah. insurance. Hundred um, percent. But that's not the biblical language around it. The biblical language around it is farming. You're sowing seeds, and uh, Jesus Himself in the parable of the sower, there was only a twenty-five percent success rate in that. So yeah, that's true. Um, and what Fouad talked about was that you're not the first person there. The, you know, someone else has talked to them. So it's not on us to try to close the deal with it. So that when it when it comes to this is for, true of all of our neighbors, by the way. Um, but people don't really fully appreciate that for the most part, Islam actually holds a lot of the same moral values that we hold as it relates to sexuality, as it relates to marriage, to gender, to you know. Um, and the fact that they believe in God, a God, these conversations are actually less complicated with them than it is with a secular humanist. Because um, you don't have to convince right. them that there is a God or a Jesus. They already believe that. You're just convincing them the truth that the Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus, is Jesus. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I, I really appreciate it. And he's such a great communicator in general. He's just a great guy. It's crescentproject.org. Yes, crescentproject.org. They have uh, events all over the country, some here in town in the Nashville area. Um, they do some um, even some digital training events actually online as well. Um, just a really great resource. We're so blessed, man. I mean, he, 
I was, he's speaking on Sunday. I'm like, this guy goes to our church. Like, why don't I, I just need to sit down and let him come talk. Like we're, right. our church is full of really gifted, impacting men and women who have been called to do amazing things. And it's like, you know, I don't know. It's just cool. He just comes in here, wanders in on Sunday with his wife and, you know, loves the church and loves what's going on. And, yeah. He's um, a great guy. He's not in it for the money. He's never, he's never once asked me for money. Like he's, uh, he's just a part of our church family. So yeah. anyway, it was cool. It was great. And so this week we're going to dive right back into our sermon series that we launched back in the summer as we have two more chapters, Darren, yeah. chapters 15 and 16 of Romans in the what's true about you sermon series. And so as we're heading into chapter 15 this Sunday, it's kind of a big chapter. Yeah, it is. You know, when you read Romans, I don't know if you if you ever sat down and read Romans in one sitting. I've done it a couple of times. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's literally a contiguous thought all the way through of here's here's the truth about you as a man. Here's you know you're you're evil, but God has come to save you, and it's the gospel, and and. You're not going to be saved by how hard you work. You're not going to be saved by anything you can do. You're saved by faith alone. And then, and if you're saved by faith, then here's what you'll do in this life. This is what a, the, the life of a person who is saved by faith will look like. And that's the last few chapters of, you know, starting in verse or chapter 12, 13, 14, uh, and right into 15. Um, you're a bunch of Jesus people living together in a world that is hostile to the gospel how, how do you do that you know how do you live in that environment and our world right now in america has shifted to hostility towards the gospel and i'm weirdly getting more and more okay with that um with the hostility yeah most of all because throughout history the we are the exception and not the rule in this country of Christians who have been treated well and have had a seat at the table and, you know, um, and it's, it's really created and produced a consumer Christianity that seems really foreign to the Christianity of the, the early church for That's sure. True. And it's foreign to the Christianity of most churches. And so, you know, it's a, it's a tension for me because, you know, I, I, I like being liked um, a lot and but our culture right now it's it's really had a a, a, a pruning uh, yeah. a, a wheat and tares kind of you know in the church um, judgment begins in the house of God you know there's been a lot of that going on and so what I'm kind of okay with is that I've actually felt more free I, I don't think I, maybe I wasn't, I just didn't realize, I don't know that I ever felt constrained before, but I do remember thinking, I want to, I want to try to word this in just such a way so that I don't really offend anybody and that we can, if I can say it right, then it'll open their eyes and, uh, which by the way, A is exhausting and, uh, B didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so what I felt a lot of freedom with right now is that the truth is just the truth. And communicating it lovingly, communicating it um, with the Holy Spirit, but not my, my truth is not based upon feelings of that truth. And I think that's where some of the hostility has set in over the past few years is because 
us saying simply that the truth is the truth is no longer widely accepted. Yeah. And so over the past 50 years, it's been very black and white. Believers and unbelievers. We knew there were denominations amongst believers, but even within our denominations, now there's been over the past, you know, let's say three years, two and a half years, a splintering within even denominational values, truths. Yeah. So where there's this, this splintering, this division on the most basic of principles, uh, such as even gender. Yes. It's just one example or, um, race. Yeah. I mean, sexuality, sexuality. Um, and so that has crept into, um, the church as a whole, the evangelical church. And there's a lot of people with a lot of questions and what we call kind of the, the reshuffling of the deck of um, mm-hmm. folks from, from church to church, even just across town. Cause there could be a, just a nuance even in, uh, in, in, in a church across town that maybe didn't exist a couple of years ago. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the light that we have to follow that we desperately need to follow is the light of, of the word. Mm-hmm. And, Paul in Romans 15, you know, he's talking to this church that was in a, in, in a culture, in a city that was hostile to them. And inside of the church itself was a, a pretty specific division that they were trying to work through. Um, and it was Jew, uh, Jewish heritage, Jewish uh, DNA, accepting the fact that Gentiles were actually also welcomed into the kingdom and without having to go through the ceremonial Jewish rites. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. We read it or talk about it and it's like, it doesn't seem like what's the big deal, but I mean, this is a big deal to them, huge deal. To, uh, especially, I mean, one of the big ones was was circumcision. They had a huge, up, you know, uh, this big council that met in Acts, and right. Peter and Paul getting this big brouhaha over at one point. You know, he calls out Peter because Peter's hanging out with uh, Gentiles, but when the Jews are around, he won't sit with them, and he's like, "You're being a hypocrite." Uh, and it was about you know the, the circumcision thing, and I don't know maybe it's ironic that his name is Peter, and we're talking about circumcision, but it is the deeper podcast. Um, but like, if can you imagine the church invite card, like, hey, come to our church, and you know, uh, we'll be doing circumcisions on Tuesday uh, for, for everybody who wants to join for membership class. You got to get circumcised. Yeah, I got to feel like that would uh, would be a hard invite, but uh, it's that we can laugh about it, but like this was a huge schism for them probably not unlike vaxxed versus unvaxxed masked versus unmasked issues that were a big deal now i I will say there's a there is one major difference that's very important to point out and that is jesus was a jew right he so so the jewish people they didn't just make this stuff up they had a they had a reason to believe uh, this and I might add, they also had a reason to be bitter against Gentile nations, which had tried to destroy them for thousands of years leading up to this moment, including the present moment where their own country and city was uh, ruled by another country. Yeah. So there was some bitterness in that. It wasn't um, 
this wasn't something that you know they were just being petty necessarily and so he's he goes into this in, in 15 and this is like his like if I could say anything to you, here's how you're going to get along. We've got, to, we've got to figure this out. We've got to be unified because there's real enemy at the door. There are real battles that are waiting to destroy this church. Let's not destroy it from the inside out. And that's where chapter 15 leads us into, which is we who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Uh, verse 2, each of us should please our neighbors for their good. Build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Uh, for everything, verse 4, that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, and King James says patience taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, that we might have hope. And that that statement just jumps out because I, I've, I have actually said out loud uh, was the, about the divisions right now that we've seen in other churches. So far, we have been spared inside of conduit family. Uh, but I look at like the churches in our own town and the things that have happened in a major, major church in our town just split in half just a few months ago. And, and I look at that and think, man, God, where's the hope? How do I, is this irreparable? How do we? And I read this and think the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide that we might have hope. So if I'm looking to uh, my well-crafted argument or my strategy if, you know, to provide encouragement and hope, it's not going to happen there. But if I go back to the scriptures and what was written uh, th- through endurance, through patience taught in the scriptures and encouragement, that they, uh, they're going to provide us the hope that we need uh, it, it, it's what they it provided them hope then, and it provides us hope now. Which is what I think is amazing about Scripture in general, that these these Scriptures, these, these things that have been written for thousands of years are just as applicable now as they were when they were written. Like, they're just as relevant. You read through Romans, and the fact that we're going through Romans during this time uh, of our life in America— in Tennessee right now, it it it's so uh, it's so applicable mm. and so relevant. Yeah, and that's what blows me away every time. You know, every chapter we've gone through um, through this series for such a time as this, it's like what we're learning of what was happening with Paul and the Jews and the Gentiles and the Roman culture and all of these things leaves us so much information, so much. Um, hope, so much application on how to live our lives yeah. today. Yeah, and you'll hear people say, and I, I mean, I guess I can say his name out loud, but when someone like Andy Stanley refers to these ancient texts pejoratively, um, they are ancient, that's true. But But man is ancient as well. So it's not like these ancient texts don't apply to modern man. Because modern man is the same as man was thousands of years ago. Yeah. Like, even when you read Orwell or Lewis, whatever, you think, man, were these guys prophets? Like, no, they were historians. (laughs) Like, they, this is what man, uh, Romans 1 is how man has been since Genesis 3. And it's how it is today. That's right. And so when you hear somebody, uh, and and, and Stanley went back and, and, corrected and clarified a little bit of what he meant with it. But most times when you hear ancient texts in a pejorative, 
what they're trying to do is discount it um, to say that, well, it's not that important that we really understand the Bible, that we, uh, because we really follow Jesus. And the, the incongruity of that idea is, uh, is so obvious, and that is that uh, how, do I, how do I follow Jesus if I don't trust the Bible? Because the only thing I know he did or the only thing I know he said or the only, you know, who he was is all here. And when Paul was speaking of the scriptures, what was taught in the scriptures, there wasn't a First Corinthians at this point. He was literally speaking of the Torah, of what we would call the Old Testament. Um, it's not like uh, I went to a Bible college that one of the professors at one point holds up the Bible and and says he's this New Testament. This is what we're you know don't worry about the, any of this other stuff. The New Testament because we're New Covenant people. And wow, um, it's well, it's a ridiculous statement, mostly because the New Testament is literally full of. Here's why the Old Testament was important to us, and Paul literally Romans 15. Actually, the entire book of Romans, but Romans 15 is just peppered with, as it is written, as it was here's as it was said, as the prophet said, as, and if you're looking for a Bible study method. Um, and, and maybe you, you've read the Bible and you've like, didn't really get anything from it. And maybe you've done the one year Bible plan. Have you ever done those, Mo? <laughs> Did you make it through? No, I've not. I've never made it. I never made it out of Leviticus, um, <laughs> which I think is February about the time your gym memberships fall off and the Bibles get put That's back right, down. That's right, yeah. Um, but the Bible isn't a book, it's 66 books. And they're actually not even placed in chronological order. That's true. That's yeah. Some people may not realize. That. Yeah. So if you think of it as the library that it is, and then cross-referencing it, so the method that I use. So like when we prepare for a sermon, um, in fact, this afternoon we'll we'll have a meeting again. I, I actually have a, a team that we meet together and just we just wrestle through the text together and. Um, but the, the method that I have used for ever, and I've always just found it utterly fascinating, is whenever you see a it is written, like find out what it was and what was written. So verse 3, uh, the, verse three for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And so, you know, reading that the way that Paul wrote it, he's saying... Yeah, when they're you know insulting uh, Jesus, they they've, they're insulting me. Um, actually, the way I've originally read that, by the way, the, those who insult you have fallen on me. I read it originally that those who insult Darren are insulting Jesus. That like that's how I for the first glance at that, that's what sure. it looks like it says. Yeah. But Psalm sixty nine nine, where it was written what he's referring to you know david has written this psalm and he is talking about uh it's so it's 69 9 he's talking about i'm a foreigner in my own family a stranger to my own mother's children uh for zeal for your house consumes me you know those of us in our modern world right now especially in the last couple of years like a lot of us have lost relationships with families and have lost you know because they think we're crazy um for zeal for your house for for church like we were coming to church uh gathering as a body when everybody said it's going to kill your grandma like it just don't do it don't you know but but zeal for your house consumed us 
and he, but he goes on to say, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. And the you in that context is God. They're not insulting David. They're insulting God, but those insults have fallen on David. Yeah. So I come back to Romans 15 and say, those who insult Jesus are insulting me. And deeper is they're not insulting me. They're actually insulting God. I don't have to take this personally because they think they maybe think they're mad at me, but they're really mad at God. That's they're right. really mad at whatever is unfair, this unjust thing. And so it's it's being aimed at me. You know, does it still sting? Does it still hurt? You don't like it? Absolutely. But it's when I know it's not personal and I can say that they're insulting God, let God defend himself. I don't have to. Yeah. Let God take the weight of this. I don't have to. For everything, verse 4, that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and patience in the scriptures, the encouragement they provide might give us hope. So when I look to what's happening in our world now, I can see the scriptures, and that provides me encouragement because Psalm 69 goes on to talk about what, you know, he's going to endure. You know, he's not, it's, it's actually a really beautiful prayer, but at the very end, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it, and those who love his name will dwell there. Like, I know the future because I know the past. Yeah, and the God that promised that. So as you're studying Scripture, if you sit down tomorrow and you're just looking at a, a, a Bible and you don't know what to start with, um, if it's John, if it's a gospel, if it's, a, if it's Romans, you know, we're going through Romans, you might as well do that. Uh, and you get to the it is written, go to what was written. Because uh, you, you literally, before you know it, like an hour has passed and you're down like a choose-your-own-adventure Bible story. Because <laughs> of, of, he goes on to say, um, uh, as he goes through chapter 15, he starts talking about the Gentiles, by the way. Um, actually, let's just start with verse 5. Let's just keep going. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, how does he do it? Through the scriptures. Give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, accept one another just as Jesus accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Uh, and he goes on, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth that promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. If you're a Jewish mind hearing this and you know that you know you're, I'm struggling with this, you're Paul, you're just saying that I'm supposed to accept these Gentiles but where does it say that in the scriptures that you talk about? I, the word of God has got to be the, the, the flashlight for me. And he says, uh, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. And that is Psalm 18. Uh, he's right. quoting from. And Psalm 18 is what D- uh, David wrote after he was rescued from Saul uh, and his enemies. Um, David was rejected by his own house, rejected by Saul, rejected by Israel. And now he's hiding in caves, but he was rescued and he was saved. And he says, therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. And the nations means the Gentiles. It means us. Whenever you see the nations in scripture, that is everything except Israel. Uh, 
everything. So when you go into all the nations, the United States is a nation. That's right. It's not the nation. Uh, I will sing praises to your name. That is a profound truth for us that Paul being delivered from his enemies. Uh, he's first of all saying, by the way, it said it right there. If you're a Jewish person, you're following. You might have missed it, but he said you're going. These people are they're going to praise his name. The Gentiles that you think are dirty scum that are cut off, that have been trying to kill you, um, they are going to be the ones praising along with you. It's right there in the Word of God. Context is everything. Yeah. I mean, context gives clarity. Um, these footnotes that you're talking about, these verses that are in the Old Testament, give so much insight and clarity to what's being said and taught that we can walk away with so much new and, and more information. You know, <laughs> kind of a funny thing happened last night. We're, we've been celebrating in the team and household the arrival, the, the future arrival of uh, what will be my grandson. Okay. We, this is called burying the lead, by the way. <laughs> we should have led with this. So producer Mike over here um, and his beautiful wife, Lauren, are expecting. So congratulations. And so last night, though, they're getting the word out. They're telling everybody. And um, my other son and his future bride, and they're getting married this summer, she posts just a simple picture of the ultrasound that says congratulations. It didn't even actually didn't even say congratulations. She just tagged Whoops. Lauren. I didn't see that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And so without context, if you're just scrolling, which most people do uh-huh. on the socials, uh, <laughs> you would have quickly just inferred that perhaps uh, Miss Rama was pregnant. Um, and so without context, it created a lot of confusion for, for a brief moment until we all realized what happened. And we're like, all right, we need to fix this post, um, <laughs> which, which just reminded me of this. You know, having context gives just a lot of clarity. And without context, you can have a lot of confusion. Yeah. Yeah, there's an old saying that says, if you take the text out of context, all you're left is a con. Yeah. Uh, and and there's, there is a lot of truth in that. Like, the, the, the Bible verse in a three-by-five card is a beautiful thing. Um, but if it's out of context, you know, God, and by the way, God still loves you. Like, he's still, you know, he, but it's, it doesn't, it doesn't give you the truth that you need to to power through that moment. It's actually, there's this, you know, the, the fact that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, he was actually talking about being persecuted for, on the, you know, for the sake of Christ. Like, you know, so, right. you know, can, can I pray that over this test that I didn't study <laughs> for? You know, I can do all things through Christ. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe, uh, probably should have just studied. Mm. Um, but in the deeper context, especially in the deeper reality of our lives, like if I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means a lot in a world where I'm being persecuted and I'm being marginalized and I don't I don't have a hope. But but through Christ I can I can do this. You know, there are things that you can't do without Christ. And loving your enemies is actually, I think, one of those things. Without Christ, I can't do that. Without Christ it doesn't make any sense to do that. Um his whole idea of loving your enemies, like instead of destroying them, that was revolutionary. But it's true because at some point, if you don't love your enemy, the cycle discontinues. That you've seen it throughout tribal wars, throughout Africa, throughout the Middle East. Most of those tribal situations, they hate each other not because of what this tribe did to this one, but because of what their grandparents or great grandparents did to each other. And they, so until somebody says, "I'm going to love my enemy," and forget that, 
but that's the Bible in its context gives us truth to actually live into what the world is now. And this, uh, what he's saying to these Jewish brothers and sisters that, uh, you know, after David was delivered from the hands of Saul, his enemies, um, the, the Lord lives, verse 46 of Psalm 18, praise be to my rock, exalted God, Savior. He is the God who avenges me, he who subdues nations under me, uh, you, uh, who saves me from my enemies, exalted above my fo-. Like those are prayers that we can pray uh, with confidence. They're the scriptures, so I don't have to go out and defeat my enemies. I don't have to go out and you know do gotcha questions and gotcha posts. I get to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind and be the witness through that and through what he's called us to do. Um, and this is all just like Romans 15. Like it's literally uh, a roadmap for us in a world hostile to our faith to remain unified with each other, the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, and with us, the nuances of our faith. Um uh, if, if you don't see this specific issue of scripture the way that, that I see it and we have this conversation and we both have come to the scripture to try to find the truth, we don't have to like break fellowship over that. Um, you can, but we don't have to, we certainly don't have to hate each other. Uh, on the other hand, and it bears saying in our context that accept one another as Christ accepts you does not mean, on the other hand, that if you are flagrantly violating, harming other people, uh, violate that I don't have to accept you into. Uh, it's not love to accept somebody who is living in a delusion or a lie and harming. Uh, Romans, First Corinthians thirteen talks about love is patient, love is kind. Uh, but love speaks the truth in love. Like it's, so it's a true. It, rejo- it does not rejoice in evil. It like love. So, it is not love to rejoice in evil. Uh, the most blatant example of that, not in our church in particular, but our in our culture, is the uh, th- this guy that just took first place in the women's college swimming championships, and. It's not love to the to the girl whose name I should know because she won that race as a female. It's not loving her who worked her whole life to let a guy come in living in a delusion and win his win that race. Um, that's not love. You know, do we pray for him? We love him, want him to, but you know, it it, it does not mean accept just as. Uh, in a, in a way that harms other people. Um, again, most obvious and blatant one is that, but there are examples all around us. Yeah, Emma Wayant would be the the winner of that race. <laughs> yeah, remember that name. Love rejoices in truth and not in evil. Yeah, Emma. And, um, you know, Governor DeSantis uh, put out a pretty big statement about that this week as well, just declaring her as the winner since she's from Florida. Um, they were pretty excited that she won, that she won uh, as as it good, you know. So she was f- she was from Florida, or the race was in Florida. She was from Florida, and um, 
she technically came in second, but they declared her the rightful winner. Um, wow. And yeah, and so that's the, there's 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 so much that's coming out on this. What's what's really interesting is that even the feminists at this point are pretty upset. Well, they should be. <laughs> the irony is like like this played out when we talk about what's true about you which is this idea in the book of Romans that the book of Romans gives context. It gives insight into um, uh, how we as humans uh, play out over time, starting from the Genesis three world, that if we just play this out over time, um, it leads, it leads to death, right? Yes. So the, the gospel in Romans shows us that it's been redeemed and there's a restoration through the blood um, of Christ. And so anyway, so through through this humanistic mindset, what we're seeing is as it's playing out, it's it's cannibalistic. Yeah. They they start taking each other out. Um, which is what hap- what has happened here. It's this this fight for all equal, all rights for everyone. Um, has they've now see how that's played out to where a a guy who calls himself a woman is now participating in a sport that completely eviscerates the competition and is now lauded and applauded um, as as the winner and, and, you know, how bold this person is to stand up for, for their transgenderism. So are you saying that right now there are actual, like, secular humanist feminists that are coming out and yeah, speaking up? Because I'm not... Very frustrated. If, you, if I'm to trust my news feed, which I don't, obviously, every headline... Uh, from Sports Illustrated to Times, you know, are congratulating this woman for winning the NC, the first woman transgender, whatever. And and I'm just thinking, is it possible that the entire country, uh, and I know it's not the entire country, but like, is there a majority of people that are looking at that and saying, yeah, that's that's, that's a good thing that that guy was able to compete in a female speed, you know, with performance enhancing testicles as the uh, Babylon Bee called them. <laughs> right. um, who subsequently gets Twitter banned? Yeah, the Twitter ban for stating that is a fact. So it's like the the the, the main uh, gatekeepers of information seem to be wanting to celebrate this. But are you seeing voices out there that are not? Yeah. So there was actually a protest outside the NCAA swimming championship of a group of feminists protesting what had happened, and their their statement right now is that we are politically homeless. Like they don't have a place anymore. Wow, because it's gone so far to the left, and like I said, it's kind of cannibalized their beliefs at this point. Now it's reverting back the other way, and they're left wow. without a a place to stand. I, f- I find some comfort in that, <laughs> I, because I just you wonder in the cannibalistic nature of a of a society like this. Um where most major politicians are uh, from a particular party are congratulating him for winning this contest and the swimming thing. And you just, you know, I I just, part of me thinks, okay, this has to fall apart at some point just because it's so illogical. Um, It it just has to at some point. But on the other hand, woe to those who call good evil and go evil good. You know, so there is a biblical narrative of uh, of a society that is so blinded that it will literally destroy itself. That's right. That's exactly what it is. And these feminists that have spoken out against this, so they're now called radical feminists. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, it just keeps it just keeps going. <laughs> I, to to what end? I I don't know. 
Um, but that's that that was a, a, a several articles. Newsweek covered it. Fox, of course, um, and several others were, were covering the um, the protest outside of the the finals from these radical feminists about this. Right, right. I mean, when it comes to us as as believers and followers of Jesus, I. I desperately want, but I also believe that it's possible for a body of believers to be unified around the big things in our, the the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus for the atonement of our sins. The indisputables. Yeah. To unite around it because we need each other in a place where I I talked about it in the, uh, in the Romans 14 passage, but. You know, school systems right now in many countries, in many countries, in many counties across America, not just blue states, are if your seventh grade child tells the counselor that I'm confused about my gender, that counselor does not have to include you in this conversation, can then what's called, quote, socially transition them. We have a teacher uh, who is, her husband serves as an elder at our church who said that at the school she teaches at, that, you know, that this year uh, one of her students shows up and has decided that it's, uh, I can't remember if it's a he or she, but changed genders. And so she is literally required to use whatever uh, gender that, that this person has decided. Like, that's, that's literally a law. So she could be fired for not doing that. And on the other hand, the, the the social department, and this is why it's, I don't think people, I let me phrase it, I didn't fully realize this until just recently. So I'm assuming others didn't either, but I might have just been the last one of the party. But in that process, the social transition, if the parents are not supporting it, the schools can, the social workers, counselors can report this to DCS as abuse. And in the abuse context, then, the child can be removed from their home, put in DCS custody. And in a foster system that is already overwhelmed with legitimate abuse, and the state then can pay for their uh, hormone treatments, females especially for uh, full mastectomies. Um, I don't know. I actually, I, I, I'm assuming it means for male genitalia too, but I don't know that. I've not read that yet. So far, the only ones I've, I've seen examples of are, are female. Um, like that's a real danger in our culture for our children, for our families, for our society. So for us to be fighting each other over whether a woman can teach on a Sunday and to like put an enormous amount of attention around, around an issue that is of enormous biblical importance, sure. But to then split apart churches, uh, it just seems like if you're Satan, that's just such the perfect strategy Absolutely. of division. Get us fighting each other, uh, tearing each other down so that he doesn't have to. Um, whether it's online, whether it's... And I, and I would encourage anybody who is listening to this Man, be careful what you post online because the world is watching. Um, 
I mean, I actually uh, confess that I regretted what I posted about Andy Stanley's quote. And I don't, I don't regret calling out the theology of it because it was crazy to say that these ancient texts and, you know, whatever. Right. But, you know, I regretted it because the world's watching. So they're, they're, not, they're watching, you know, a, a big shot pastor and a, and a no-name, no-rent guy like me you know, make a comment about it. Like, you know, the Christians were all piling on and then underneath it was a bunch of people that were, yeah, he's a heretic. He's a this, he's a that, you know, and people ready to pounce. Starting with me, we got to cut that crap out. Yeah. Um, we got to have room for conversation. We got to have room for, but if it's, and when I say cut that crap out, like when you know it, when you've written it, if, 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 by the way, if it felt really good when you posted it, it's probably (laughs) not a good sign. (laughs) Because it's probably not a good part of your heart that it came from. Yeah. But there is a way to tell the truth out of love and not tell the truth out of fear. And that's the differentiation that Paul makes in Romans, that it's from love and not fear. I, I would love it if Andy Stanley didn't say that. Right. Right. I love it that he clarified that. Um, and I go back to Romans 14 when he talks about, you know, are you, who are you to judge your, your, other, your, your master's other servants? Let your master do the judging. You don't have to do that. You know, the words of the great poet Clarence Tyler, know your role and shut your hole. So stay in your stay in your lane. Um, this is a great poet. Was this your, your grandfather, your father? It's my father. Yeah. <laughs> He's fantastic. Clarence <laughs> Tyler. Clancy is what they called him. Oh, I love it. His, uh, his mother called him Clancy. Uh, I got heard that a lot. Man, just you just got to know your role and shut your hole, man. Like, don't, you don't need to speak up in this and fail. And it is a dance because there's times to speak up, there's times to speak truth. But if again, if it's from love and not hate, I, I actually one of the people that I respect the most right now that that has a really good nuance with this is Elisa Childers. Yeah. Um, th- there are definitely things that she uh, has pointed out that I, I wouldn't necessarily maybe even think. Well, I don't really sit that way theologically, or but she's always she always does it from a place of love and not from hate or anger or fear. Um. And the delicate dance that someone like her has to do, those you go to the comment section and there's a whole bunch of people piling on yeah. with that. So, you know, I feel that personal tension as a pastor, as a leader, as a teacher to teach and point out how fear, fear isn't right from progressive secular humanism shaming us and fear is not right from gospel. You know, the idea of, quote, gospel shaming which I think is the word Mark Driscoll actually coined. Interesting. Yeah, gospel shaming someone um, uh, from it was a long time ago, but I, I, he's a brother in Christ. I just wouldn't use that phrase. Um, I, I think that what he well, he says here, build each other up. Uh, yes. Back to verse two. Yes. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Uh, that's a lost art, and it's not simple but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are getting ready to land this plane in Romans, and it's uh, we just learn something each and every week. Excited to uh, learn more about Romans 15 this week. Um, so is this going to be a two-parter? It is. Romans 15 will be yep. two parts. Um, so this coming Sunday and, and, and um, maybe the one after that in the next couple of weeks. We yeah. have a guest speaker thrown in there somewhere as well. Yeah. And then Easter Sunday. Yeah. We'll be landing the plane, I think, with uh, Romans, Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm pretty fired up the more I've, I've been into Romans 16 because as we prayed through, you know, one of the things that you felt that the Lord was saying for our 
message for Easter, you know, is come and see, look, witness, yeah. like be a witness of what. And I was reading Romans 16 and thinking, I'm, I'm meant to be done by now. Um, but the beautiful thing when you go through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is wherever you are, there you are. That's right. And Romans 16, it's literally like a, a pantheon of, It'd be like I'm writing a letter here and saying, "Hey, say you know, say hey to Micah for me. I miss him. Say hey to Tracy. She's rocking it." And say you know, it's literally that. But his that whole list is of people that witnessed Christ. He said some of them were, were disciples before I was for followers before they yeah. were they had seen Jesus. Yeah, and what they had seen of him meant that this person was in prison with me. This person was willing to die for me. This person worked so hard for the gospel for me. When you come and see what the Lord has done, come and see, it literally uh, changes who you are. Peter, seeing a resurrected Christ, was no longer a sniveling, you know, hot head, you know, he, he coward. He literally became who he, yeah. he became Peter. Yeah. Paul became Paul, and, you know, I can become Darren, you can become Mo. Uh, by being a witness. And so that's the Easter, you know, because the promise that he ends Romans 16 with is that in one day, the God, like Jesus Christ, he is going to crush Satan under your feet. Not his feet, by the that's way, right. under your feet. Yes. Uh, the, the the end of time, which is the promise that was made in the garden, that her, her seed will, will bruise, will crush your head. Yes. April 17th. 2022 Easter Sunday is just around the corner. If you want to come and see and be a part of our Easter services, uh, we, we would invite you to come do that. You can find out all of our services. We're having multiple services that day. And um, you can find out each service time and RSVP for that, conduitchurch.com. Um, you'll, you'll find all of our information there for Easter Sunday, which is coming quickly, um, and all of our other events that we've got in the mix. We've got, uh, we actually have a, a we're pretty excited about Friday night, to be honest. If you're listening to this yeah, yeah. in real time um, this week, we have Rebecca St. James releasing her brand new album. It's a worship album. Yeah, it's just going to be a worship night at Conduit with Beck. Yeah, a worship night, and she's going to be leading here, um, and information is online for that as well. We'd love to have you come check that out. And, yeah, a lot happening, and it's an exciting time um, here at Conduit. And so if you have the opportunity to uh, catch up on this sermon series or, or visit us in person, Again, all the information is on our website, conduitchurch.com. 